on Macquarie Radio NTS. This is What's Cooking with Nerida Conway, bringing you a tasty assortment of all things food and wine. Hello and welcome to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS with me, Nerida Conway. On today's show, we're going to be talking to the very talented chef, Chris Manfield. Also, Jason Hinks, the CEO of Food Bank Australia. We've got the executive chef of Cafe Sydney coming in, James Kidman. What a talented bloke. We've got chef-turned-farmer Martin Boats from the Cooks Co-op talking about veggies and produce. Also, answering your curly questions, you're on Macquarie Radio NTS. Guess who's coming to dinner? With Nerida Conway. And welcome to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway. Now in the studio here in Sydney, I have got James Kidman, who's the executive chef at Cafe Sydney, in for a chat. How are you, James? I'm good, thank you. That's good. And I'm loving having James on radio because, quite frankly, despite his cooking, he's got a great voice for radio. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) So, James, tell me about your pedigree, which is just such a terrible word. But Uh, tell me how you got into this whole chefy business. Oh, look, probably like... You know, a lot of people, my mum was a major influence. She's a good cook. Mm. Um, and Where do I, they live? Uh, they live here in Sydney, just mm. around the corner from here. So, okay. And I wanted to leave school when I was probably about 16 to do a chef's apprenticeship when uh, we were living in Brisbane at the time. Okay. And uh, I got convinced otherwise to, to finish school. Uh, I did so here in Sydney. Good and choice. Then, yeah. And then uh, I went to university twice. Dropped oh. out twice. Um, what were you studying? Hairdressing? Uh, arts at Sydney, which right. was great fun, okay. I must admit. But I saw more of Manning Bar than I did a, a yes. lecture theatre, I think. Um, <laughs> and then I sort of a, an up and down career at Macquarie Uni doing economics. So, okay. And then eventually, strangely enough, I, uh, I dropped out of that and I did um, some kitchen hand work, amongst other things, before going travelling for Christine Manfield. Oh. In her uh, first restaurant at the the Phoenix, um, and I suppose that reignited sort of what I wanted to do. And from then, I had already planned a trip to go overseas with a mate. We did a big uh, travel through Europe. Wow, how awesome! Yeah, and then I came back. I was about twenty three ish, somewhere around then, and I started working for a place at Mossman, uh, a place called Trezini's. And then shortly after starting there, I, I did some work for Matt Moran. And then I went and uh, worked for a guy called Anthony Massara, who's mm-hmm. now in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, after, I love Anthony. Yeah, he's great. A really amazing He's Spanner Crab, resort, um, Linguini, best hey, I've ever had. Look, he, I think there's something about Anthony <laughs> that's just amazing is that he understands flavour. Yes. Whereas, you know, you can have some tricked up food. And, that's what I reckon too. But he, he gets it he on, on that level. Yep. Um, and then I followed my, my heart, I mm. think, or something, and uh, I went to uh, Perth and I worked for a very famous chef over there called Neil Jackson, okay. uh, who's now just recently retired. And Where did you live in Perth? Uh, in Northbridge. Oh, so that was fun. And that is like just living on mm, campus in a dorm in a uni it again. It is. So pre-2000, <laughs> a little bit grungier than I think it is today. And, yeah. um, and Neil was an awesome guy to work for. He mm. really was. And uh, he used to – I ran predominantly his pastry section and he would buy me different types of chocolate and different sorts of uh, items to sort of just try out. And then I came back to Sydney after a couple of years in Perth and I worked at 41 Restaurant Wow. Uh, with Dietmar Sawyer which was uh, like a finishing school in okay. a way, like a Swiss finishing school. Um, demanding, gruelling, every week was a 70-hour-a-week wow. uh, sort of scenario. Um, but 
you know, you learn how to fillet fish and debone everything properly. Debone, yeah, debone hairs and all that sort yeah, of thing. And yeah. look, he's probably one of the the, the smartest chefs that I ever worked for. Um, uh. Very clever and very knowledgeable about all aspects of mm. food. And then I um I left there to after a couple of years, and I I went on as a, a sous chef at Otto, and then a year later I became the uh, the head chef there and was there for uh, eight years in total. Wow, that's a good innings. Mm. And uh, between there and coming back to Sydney, I sort of I went to Canberra as an exec chef running a, a company down there called Ten and a Half and then back to Sydney and then ultimately landing the job at Cafe Sydney as okay. the executive chef. And do you traipse your wife and your little girl with you everywhere you go? Uh, well, you do. Um, and um, uh, only in sort of recent times has that been the sort of case. So... Um, but um, back in Sydney and, and just working hard and, yeah. Now, back to your uni student days. <laughs> There's not much to tell, I can tell you. No, what I want to know is mm-hmm. a, a chefy type like you who's always had an interest in cooking, how creative did you get with two-minute noodles? How creative did I Did you get? set yourself little challenges to kind of go, okay, I've got no money. Oh, look, I think... But I've got a packet of dried macaroni. <laughs> there were, there were, you know, it's funny because... I was the kind of guy who who didn't buy the Wheels magazine. Okay. I was the kind of guy who bought, at the time, Vogue Entertaining and, and that sort of stuff. <laughs> I love and it. I, and I remember I sort of had Well, a, you had to sell a kidney to do that if you're a student, let me tell you. Well, and, and uh, so I, what I did was I remember one dinner I made for a girl that I was dating at the time was a sort of a smoked salmon timbal with avocado and a chicken breast with a cream and brandy so peppercorn fancy. sauce you know so this is in the early 90s so I was always sort of doing things and you know mates would come over and we'd we'd uh, cook lamb roasts and oh. ring up the dads and ask them how we would cook it and <laughs> we'd spend sort of four or five hours doing that and That's drinking wine awesome. and having a bit of fun. That's awesome. Well, um, can I just tell you, my husband, by comparison, doesn't cook at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he was a student, when we met, um, he would sort of eat an entire iceberg lettuce because they were cheap. And then uh, take me out for dinner to kind of try to impress me, but only have enough money for my meal and not tell me. And I'd order and just he'd be going, no, I'm not hungry. (laughs) Those dates didn't go well. Well, at least uh, I'm amazed you made it to second base. Truly, well, you know he was he was giving it all to you. I mean, I think that's he the point, was, isn't it? and that is the point. So now, Cafe Sydney, where you are now, mm-hmm. is iconic. The view is spectacular. It is just, I guess, it's got the best of all worlds going for it. Yep, certainly does. And I think people would sort of think that a lot of tourists go there because it's obviously near the Opera House and la la la. la. And is that the case? No, look, it's not. In fact, it's far from the case. We um, it makes up a very small percentage of our business. Year and you're not in, year saying out. tourists aren't welcome. No, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, it, we probably look a major part of our business is the corporate trade, uh, mm. lunch and dinner. Mm. Um, uh, you know, domestic, just people coming in and having enjoying a meal. Mm. Um, and really, we're we're pretty much fully booked lunch and dinner most days of the week. Mm. So if you're coming from overseas, then you've really got to be thinking about where you're going before you get there. So it really is just a very small percentage of our business. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. And I guess, you know, it, the same could be said for this venue or these sorts of venues that are just in such an amazing location that they can trade off their location and not actually worry so much about the food. But you have come in to make sure that's not the case. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, I've been with the company now for coming up a year and a half. But um, And how have you done that? Uh, well, look, because uh, you can see how a place like that could get quite 
lazy, I guess, and just trade on the fact that, look, the, you know, it's all about our location. Look, I mean, I think there are certain things that we look at. And one mm. of the things that's um, important for us is that we can have really good supplier relationships mm. where we've got uh, great relationships with uh, people like Chris Lloyd, who has Woodside Cheeses, uh, Gary Rodley from Tarthra Oysters, just to name a couple. Mm. Um, and what we can do is we can go to those people and ask them to produce certain things solely for us. So wow. we, but we can pick up on really unique, beautiful, interesting produce and, and create a very unique uh, menu uh, in, a, in a large, Ooh. iconic restaurant. So Sounds divine. I'm going to go and eat there tonight and I'll tell you all about it next time I come on air. And I just want you to give me some ideas of some of your favourite things on the menu at the moment because obviously, you know, you change it seasonally and we're coming into the festive season and summer and everything. So what's on there that you love? Uh, what do I really love? Um, I mean, I'm sure you love it all. I but... do. Look, I'm always a big fan of, of tuna. Um, we've got mm. a tuna dish on the moment, which is a, just thin slices of raw tuna. We use a smoked eel uh, mayonnaise oh, to go yum. with it. Um, we dress it with a, a, a really fruity olive oil um, and uh, we also use some shaved mahama or air-dried tuna uh, to go with it to give it a bit of a salty... Um, so uh, you're about the flavour too from the sounds of things, which is exciting. Absolutely. That's sort of carried on, definitely. You don't look like a taster. You're in good shape. <sighs> You've got to work hard at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And another quick couple? I am really enjoying eating Matt O'Connor's dry-aged 450-gram ribeye at the moment. Yum. I think it's beautiful. We're the only place that you can get that in Sydney, mm. um, and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's a, just a, a fabulous piece of meat, just fantastic. Oh, okay. Well, look, James, I'm so excited that you came to tell us about your place because I know our listeners will want to go and give it a whirl. And tell us what, what they think. We're looking forward to having you. Can't yes, wait. Yes, I can't wait too. Thanks. You've been with James Kidman, Executive Chef at Cafe Sydney, in Sydney, obviously. And I'm Nerida Conway, What's Cooking, Macquarie Radio, NTS. You're listening to What's Cooking with Nerida Conway. And welcome back to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. In the studio with me now, I've got Jason Hinks, who is the CEO of Food Bank Australia. How are you, Jason? Hey, Nerida. How are you? Good. Now, I love Food Bank. I think it's absolutely awesome. And I know all about it. But for the sake of our listeners, give us a little snapshot into what is Food Bank? Well, Food Bank's Australia's largest hunger relief organisation. Um, we work really between uh, manufacturers um, and the welfare sector. So collecting food that would otherwise go to waste, go to landfill, um, go to animal feed and redistribute it to the organisations or welfare organisations that are in need of it. Um, we're a large-scale organisation. Last year we distributed 33 million kilos of food. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Or about 166,000 meals a day. So, uh, wow. so a significant input. Um, we distribute that through our two and a half thousand welfare agencies mm -hmm. um, and really food bank has become a critical source of food for those agencies aside from surplus we also have some programs so we have programs about going back to the farm and seeking donations from from the farmers and that is fruit fruit and vegetables milk grain and meats we have a collaborative manufacturing um, program where we utilise surplus and donated manufacturing capacity to produce things like pasta and breakfast cereal um, from, uh, you know, from those manufacturing partners and distribute to the welfare sector. And then we also have our cause-rated marketing activity, um, which, um, which last year was the inaugural release of the food fight. You know all the food that you see in Coles and, all, and Woolies and all the supermarkets and they've got their use-by date? And then it's true, isn't it, that after the use-by date, a lot of it gets tossed? 
That's right, yes. Yeah. So, it's still I mean, perfectly edible. Yeah, so there is there is certainly a gap between when, uh, for example, the supermarket would normally see food as being uh, mm. you know, not fit for sale mm. and still being fit for human consumption. Mm. So we have what we call product acceptance guidelines mm-hmm. and they allow for food to be um, distributed by us yep. up until that time when it's still considered fit for human consumption. Okay, and who does the cooking? So um, there is a um, – so you're talking about me personally or who does the cooking at the um, – in, in the welfare We segment? want to know about you too, Jason. Yeah. So um, <laughs> at the – so really um, it's a combination of, of distribution of the food. Yes. So some of the food is distributed in emergency hampers yes. uh, for, for those in crisis. Uh, some of the food will be distributed and, and more like – almost like a, a, a grocery environment for, mm. for, for people in crisis and people struggling to make ends meet. Mm. And then we'll have food which is taken up by the welfare agencies who prepare it. So yes. you'll have soup kitchens, you'll have lunches, you'll have dinners, um, and you have the provision of meals within emergency uh, accommodation environments. That's fantastic. Now, tell me about Aussie Farmers Direct and what's happening there. Yeah, so we've had this great partnership this year with Aussie Farmers Direct, which is called Project Rudolph. Mm-hmm. And that is giving consumers the opportunity to purchase a Christmas hamper, which they do online at Aussie mm-hmm. Farmers, mm-hmm. and those hampers are distributed to those in need um, at Christmas time. And they've got fresh fruit in what's in them. Yes, yeah, so there's it's basically all you would need for a Christmas lunch. There's some fresh fruit and vegetables, there's some juice, and there's also a, a ham. Oh, do you know what? I think that that is such an amazing idea. I think one thing I hate about Christmas is that it has become so incredibly commercial and the amount of people I hear, just when I'm in the shops myself, saying, I just don't know what to get her. She's got everything. And you sort of think people are just sometimes buying things for the sake of buying things. They give a gift that someone doesn't want or need. And it's wonderful if you're in that situation where you there's honestly nothing that you want or need. But I don't think that that speaks for the majority of people in this country or, you know, a, a huge percentage of people in this country don't mm. have that experience. And so... I yeah I would definitely say to anyone listening out there that um, you know if you are in doubt about what to give somebody for a Kris Kringle or for a, a gift where you have to come up with something and that person has everything, then I think that this is just an absolutely gorgeous, wonderful thing to donate or to give you know a voucher on their behalf. Yeah, absolutely. And Christmas time is a time when you really see people in mm. need, um, you know, coming to the agencies and saying, listen, we just need to put some food on, on the table at Christmas time. And the great thing about this promotion is the food is going directly to the recipient. So um, you buy the box, the box gets delivered by um, the state food bank to the recipient um, and they can have a great Christmas. That's awesome. Now, Jason, what are you doing for Christmas, you personally? Because so, it's a flat out time of year for you. Yeah, so um, so we have a little break over Christmas mm-hmm. um, at Food Bank, and so uh, my wife and I are packing the cat into the car, and we're doing the uh, the trip down uh, down south to Melbourne to. Uh, <laughs> To, to have Christmas lunch with the family, um, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll we'll spend a little bit of time with the with the food bank crew in Melbourne as well. Oh, that's so funny. So w- hang on, let's just go back to the cat in the car. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you caught me on that. Um, I was yeah. trying to, going to try and slide that one through, but mm. uh, we have a, a cat which we love, Thomas, um, yeah. and uh, and my wife certainly can't be without him through the Christmas period. So, so we're packing just, him up in the car. What does he do while you're just hanging out at people's houses? Well, so fortunately, we're staying with uh, with my uncle while we're down in Melbourne, and right. so he has a little bit of a family environment, and okay. so everyone knows him and loves him. That's awesome. <laughs> and do you get a break? Because, you know, I know what your schedule's been like this last six months, and it's sad in a way that you're so busy. 
and I say that with love because obviously, you know, there's such a huge need for what you do. Yeah. Um, but are you going to actually have a proper bra- proper break? Yeah, so we get a little bit of time off. So yeah. so essentially um, we head off on Christmas Eve and then we're, we're back on the 4th of January. Yeah. So, so what's quite interesting is although many of the agencies continue to operate through mm. the Christmas period, um, they generally stock up. So what tends to happen, this is a really busy period for yep. the state food banks up until Christmas Eve, mm. and then we see demand drop off. So everyone gets a chance to have a little bit of a break Great. and then we're back into it in early January. Oh gosh, and that'll come around really quickly, won't it? It will Lucky indeed. you love what you do. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, and what's your ideal Christmas lunch for you personally? So my ideal Christmas lunch is um, is a big selection of food, obviously, but we're quite partial to some seafood oh. at our at our Christmas lunch. Well, you are Australian. Yeah. Hello. So so my wife last year did this. There's this amazing. Um, it was a um, it was a salmon dish, and so it was a um, it was it was incredible. And so I kind of stocked up on that, and everything else kind of uh, got missed because I uh, I peaked too early oh, on the on the Christmas lunch, too unfortunately. Soon. Oh no. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna probably ask for her recipe for that. If that's okay. You're welcome to it. <laughs> All right. And if you want to get in touch with Food Bank or Aussie Farmers Direct, then you just head to their websites. And thank you so much, Jason Hinks, CEO of Food Bank Australia, for joining us today. Thank you very much and have a great Christmas. You too. What's new with Nerida Conway? And you're listening to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway and I'm joined in the studio by somebody that I have always, always admired and just been dying to meet like a sad groupie, Christine Manfield, chef and author. How are you, Christine? Good, thanks, Nerida. <laughs> thanks for coming in and having a chat to us Pleasure. today. Pleasure. Now, I know you've been a pretty much a, a world-famous uh, restaurateur, chef, um, and I know that you're still doing, obviously, keeping your hand in, so to speak. But tell us what you're doing now since you're no longer with your restaurant. Um, well, post-restaurant life has proved to be probably busier than when I did have a restaurant. So um, Wow, that's hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, the last couple of years, I've done quite a few sort of... Um, like guest chef appearance, like being done pop-up events around Australia and all the cities and overseas in a few different countries. Writing, I've got an, another new book just out. How exciting. What's uh, it called? Tell us about a, it. It's a personal guide to India and Bhutan. So it's a, it's a very comprehensive travel guide wow. on where to eat and what to eat. Oh, my um, goodness. Because across... I guess that's a country where if you get it wrong... You'll know yeah. about it. Yeah, exactly. Or if you just do the touristy thing, you're not going to get a, no. a, the real essence of, of what those two countries are about. So, What's um, your link to India? Um, I've been travelling to India for over 20 years. Wow. Um, and I take people, I take, I host small group um, bespoke travel there a couple of times a year. I think so, I might have to put my name down yeah. for the next trip. And Bhutan as well. So, wow. um, yeah, so that, that sort of kick-started the, the sort of the serious interest, but the, I, it came out of a love of spice originally okay. and um, going over there to work as a guest chef about 20 years ago. Um, and obviously the big time um, t- tasting India that came out in 2011 really mm. propelled everything that's come since. Oh, that's awesome. Now, what have you been up to this month? Because it's coming into the crazy festive season and yeah, I'm sure you're flat out. Silly time. Mm. Um, well, I've been travelling for a couple of months in through South America. so I You had, looked relaxed. <laughs> had some time off, but I stepped off the plane a couple of weeks ago and I've literally just finished a two-week um, whirlwind oh. um, 
bit of a tour <gasps> doing a pop-up in Canberra at 86. Okay. And then a bush bash with Marty Boats up at his farm at the Cook's Co-op. That would have been last so year. boring. Not. Not. <laughs> Spice in the bush it was. How and, awesome. And um, all last week doing a pop-up in Melbourne at um, at um, 92 um, Smith Street, which is oh. called semi-permanent. Oh, yes. Okay. And what was the theme around that? Well, in Canberra, I sort of did Idnian Feast because yes. I was launching the book in Canberra. Yep. Um, and I've done a couple of other pop-up events with that team. So this time we just did an India-focused menu um, with recipes from Tasting India. So they, So people got to have a real understanding of what true yes the it's true, not just your butter chicken the true diversity um of um, indian flavors are in melbourne last week i sort of just touched on some of my universal classics right to the melbourne audience and um and sort of generally sort of spice based so okay you know that i think there is a massive hole this is just a little tip you know take it or leave it <laughs> There's a little, there's a big hole, I think, in this country for exactly what you said, for really authentic Indian food, mm-hmm. because I think we're used to, as I was saying before, like the butter chicken and your your stock standard things that, mm. you know, you can get basically it is, out of a jar. Not, yeah, it's not, it's certainly not one dimensional no. at all. The, the regional, the regional versatility is just, is just extraordinary. And I can it, imagine. Um, you really have to experience it firsthand to understand it. And, and I think you're going to get pressure yeah. to open a, an Indian <laughs> restaurant chain. I'm just letting you know there's going to be pressure. So I think I, you better I'm buckle than, up. More than happy to mentor. I'd sort of do mentor um, a few chefs, but um, whether, whether they, they take up that challenge or not is, uh, is another thing. Oh. But, yeah, that's just sort of, you know, one one sort of aspect of, of the, I guess, the, the diversity of work that I do, you know. Yes. Cause, I'm also sort of a bit of a dessert queen. So, I know. Well, this so. is what I was going to say. So I've um, – okay, you need to understand about me that I stuff up a box cake. So I am just I, – I am almost dyslexic when it comes to following a recipe. I don't know what it is about me, but I seem to like to rebel and the results are <laughs> disastrous. <laughs> It's much harder to do that because ex- dessert work is much more exacting <laughs> than, than savoury work. Of and, course. Um, and I'm not a sweet tooth, so that's the other thing. I don't really care about desserts. I'd rather mm. have chips. In fact, you know, my backside's made of chips. Long, long sort of dedication to sort of anything salty and savoury. Yeah. And, and so, you know, for me, when I try to make desserts, it's an epic fail. And I always end up, you know, living in East Brunswick in Melbourne, so I always end up going down and buying gelati and yeah. saying to my guests, here you go. But I hope yeah. you enjoyed your main because yeah. I'm good at that. Yeah. Um, but how do you, I mean, your desserts are absolutely phenomenal and I have actually experienced your desserts, not through you, but through other people who cooking have, them, which is great. That's a, which is good because they've been amazing and mm, they've worked exactly, mm, which yeah. is quite hard. I think. It's a legacy that, um, a purposeful legacy that, yes. um, that I wanted to leave, you know, yeah. and with Dessert Divas, the book that came out last year. That's with, the one I've had some desserts from. Yeah. And that was, that was the anthology of all the desserts from, from Universal Restaurants. Oh, so, um, amazing. You know, and people can do the entire thing, like do the whole diva, or they can just take elements and, you know, of, of each, you know, each, each um, diva has a whole pile of different elements, which are standalone recipes in themselves. So, and just play around but I think it really helps you know you said about having I have a savoury palate as well yes and um, I like to um, I think it's important because desserts don't need to be overly sweet they shouldn't be driven by sugar they should be driven by the fruit and flavour yeah and texture well this brings me on to my next topic so you have just designed 
a stunning and amazing cookie for Byron Bay Cookies. Mm-hmm. So tell me why you did that. Um, because I was asked very nicely initially. <laughs> um, and, and Emily is so sweet. Yeah, and <laughs> and I've, you know, sort of I've been – you know, aware of and a fan of the product for a long time mm. on the market. Um, really like it. I really mm. like the fact that it's an Australian company, it. that the stuff's actually, you know, cooked and made in, in Byron Bay. And it's their um, anniversary. And it's a 25-year anniversary, so it's, it's something worth celebrating. Yes. And so the first cookie that was um, that I came up with were, were two flavours that, that are very close to my heart. Uh, passion are? fruit. Yes. And dark chocolate. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I've yeah. got one here. I'm just about to have a little taste test. Tough part of the job. Mmm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. That's so beautiful and crumbly in your mouth and just so delicious. And you can really, really taste the passion fruit. Mm, it's meant to be sort of slightly mm. tangy and then you've got the... And you're right. It's not sickly sweet at all. No. We in sort fact, of, it doesn't yeah. even taste sugary. It's no. sort of... It's beautiful. It's just like a beautiful light shortbread for our listeners and it's got chocolate chunks in it and a citrusy and and once you swallow it you can really taste the passion fruit even yeah. more. And oh, there's no seeds how? in the in the passion fruit either. We've we've um, depulped it. Yeah, taken <laughs> taken it. the juice. You know, you whiz up the the passion mm. fruit pulp and then you um, strain it. Oh. So you've got just the pure juice and that's um, I think uh, um, because the seeds certain, can be a bit thingo. Yeah, it's, mm. and it's a certain refinement that you, um, that you that I'm looking for. I love it. Now, we've got three of these to give away, three hampers, I should say, filled with all sorts of goodness from Byron Bay Cookies. And if you would like to win one that comes with Christine's love, doesn't it, Christine? Yes, absolutely. Um, you just have to jump onto the website, which is whats-cooking.com.au, get onto the Curly Questions page and tell us why you love Byron Bay cookies because we've all had them. They're just amazing. And we will choose three lucky winners and send them out a $50 hamper of beautiful um, cookie goodness that you can enjoy just in time for Christmas. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christine. I could keep chatting to you, but unfortunately I'm getting the wind up. So, can I can I just say one yes. thing um, for those that don't win a hamper yes. this Sunday because the the cookies are available at all the all the DJ, DJ stores nationally yes. David Jones, um, but this Sunday in Sydney and in Melbourne from eleven till three there's a tasting um, of of the cookies and um, and you'll be able to pick up tins there or you can just go online if you can't if you're not in either of those cities yeah cookie.com.au and just do mail order and a perfect Christmas gift. Absolutely perfect. Thank you so much for coming in, Christine. Pleasure. Thanks, Nerida. You're listening to What's Cooking, Macquarie Radio, NTS. Tasty. The latest local produce for you to enjoy. And you're listening to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio, NTS. I'm Nerida Conway. And in the studio with me now, I have Martin Boats, who is one of the most brilliant chefs that has ever existed on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. I love your food. Oh, Nerida, you're so sweet. I do. I love your food. It is crazily, ridiculously good. Now, Martin has had a long sort of career as a chef. Um, And, Marty, you started up, uh, well, you started up, I guess, long grain, didn't you, really? Yeah. Initially. I did. Um, And everyone knows long grain. Everyone loves the food there. But now you're a farmer. Yeah, so I left Long Grain two years ago in 2013 mm. and I bought a great property in Sackville, which is just outside of Windsor on the Hawkesbury River. And what was to be just a house site has turned into a business. So the business basically is 
promoting the Hawkesbury and the produce that we still grow out there. And one big thing about that particular area is that it fed all of Sydney once upon a time. It was the food bowl of Sydney. And we're slowly losing a lot of that farmland to urbanisation and also the lack of interest in becoming a farmer, and that's Mm. really unfortunate. Mm. And also a lot of the area around that particular region has also switched from growing food to growing grass, and that's not the grass that we smoke. Yes. Well, (laughs) some people smoke. (laughs) It's the lawn type. Yes, the lawn type. And look... It's really unfortunate that, Mm. again, that a lot of – there's more money in turf than there is in food. Mm. Yes, which is really – I mean, because you can't eat your lawn. Let's just put it out there. No, you can't. So there's a lot more money in in grass than there is in cabbages. That's bizarre. Now – I think this is like this. It's one of the most extraordinary success stories, really, that I've heard because you literally had a dream, ridiculous amounts of blood, sweat, and tears. I don't think anyone can possibly imagine how hard it's been for you to do mm. this. And I mean, it's not like you're a trained farmer slash. It's not like you've done it your whole life. I mean, you were learning how to grow these different things on your farm, weren't you? Yeah, and the business basically has developed. I had a business, I've had a vision for my business, but mm. then it's changed over the over the years. So mm. basically was about was about sort of promoting that area and bringing chefs in to grow their own produce on my property. But now I then decided to just grow it all myself, which was easier than having Much more people. control. Yeah, basically. <laughs> control mm. freak. And, <laughs> and I, then, I hear you. I know. And then, um, and then also bringing other farmers in, helping uh, helping them, and they also grow produce for me now in that particular area, and then I take awesome. it all into Sydney. So basically I've become a provador, and it's not really what um, I chose to be or want to be, wanted to be, but it's part of the business that's um, that's working really well. And and I've been blessed enough to have, you know, visited your farm yes. on quite a few occasions, and I cannot believe the quantity you get in such a small, it's not a small space, but relatively. Yeah, so we, um, ha- we have a, our own garden, mm. and we have other farmers growing for us, and that's the beauty of it. It's connecting with a lot of people around there, and I didn't, know anyone in that particular area when I bought that piece of land yeah. and I've really made a really good connection with oh. a diverse range of from Karen Borg who does Willowbray Goats um, Dairy and uh, Matt and Sue who have Melanda Park Pork and all the other farmers that grow fruit and vegetables mm. for me and I'm really blessed to have landed there because I really wasn't sure what my next stage of my life was going to be. Uh, I was still at Long Green when I bought the property and then had decided to make that my my dream and make it a reality. So, uh, yeah, it's been two years of hard slog, but we're oh. also doing great events out at the farm now. Um, well, because you had a shed, and, and I have to say, I haven't seen the finished no. shed. When I saw the shed last, it was literally a tin shed. Yeah. Massive, like almost an airport hangar kind of size. Um but it was empty. And mm. now, from the photos that I've seen, it looks amazing. Yeah, so we the last um, event we did last weekend with Chris Manfield, mm. who was on your show today, she um, he, she and I collaborated and we did a great menu using local produce and we put it out on social media and we were booked out in, in days and oh, we had 91 fantastic. people for lunch, which was great. And we, we've done a few and there's more coming up next year. Oh, that's so exciting. Mm. I know. And so you're still getting to cook and you're still keeping your hand in, I guess, in that way. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is... the cooks, you don't want to lose your talent. No, the Cook's Co-op does 
is has got a lot of facets to the business. Mm. So produce and and delivering produce to chefs is one and then doing events is another and that's something that I'm really passionate about and also bringing people to me and yes. showing them that particular area because it's so beautiful. It's so stunning, ridiculously stunning. Yeah. Um, now, just talking about that for a second, mm. about you were saying about delivering to chefs. So um, what I'm noticing too, uh, de- you know, dining in quite a few different chefs' uh, well-known recipe, recipes, restaurants here in Sydney, um, it's really fascinating that because you've got such a strong personal brand, Martin Boats is sort of a recognisable name, mm. um, they are actually, I guess, cashing in in a good way on your name in terms of branding the produce. And it's something I've never seen before because, you know, as you say, you'll have Melanda Park pork or you might have um, Cher Wagyu or, you know, you'll, have, you'll often see a brand of, say, meat so you know what mm. you're eating. But it's very rare for vegetables and produce to be like that. And so the other day at Four in Hand, um, Colin Fassinger's restaurant, for example, uh, on the menu he's got he had something like Martin Boats's Veg, Marty yeah. Marty's broad beans or mm. something. And I thought it was just so lovely because it instantly. I mean, it's because I knew too, but instantly it gave me that credibility that they've come from the Hawkesbury, they've been grown. There's no they're not sprayed with DDT and come from sort of some dodgy place. Mm. You know? Yeah, I, I think that's really important. That Great value for the chefs. Is that what I'm vegetables saying. are also noted on menus because you don't ever see that vegetables are recognised. Never. And I think again, it's promoting that particular area as a food growing area, and it's right on the doorstep of Sydney. So we really need to support our local growers mm. because a lot of the local produce that goes into the market sometimes gets pushed to the back because it is so fresh, mm. and we end up buying um, imported and imported stuff meaning from other states, not from other countries. But we are importing over 40% of our fruit and vegetables at the moment just because we're wanting stuff that's not in season. So we need to get, you know, everyone wants... Why do we do that? Well, because people want strawberries all year round. People want lemons all year round. they don't taste good. Well, they don't. But on the other hand, people don't know seasonality and that's really important. Seasonality and knowing about seasonality is something that we're losing. But people are interested and it's coming back. Yeah, definitely. I've become aware of it. I've got a little garden myself, Marty. I know. I've seen it. It's beautiful. And it is beautiful. It's not perhaps quite up to, you know selling my produce, although I do have a few chefs come up and raid it sometimes. That's good. Um, Yes, but the whole seasonality thing has been something that I've really understood fully. And, you know, the strawberries that I picked literally this morning as I was getting into my taxi to get on the plane to come to Sydney Mm. that were just kind of growing along the path were just like little lollies. And they're so much better than the ones that you sort of, that are flown in. Definitely. Mm. Um, So what have you got coming up for Christmas? We have... Amazing um, gift hampers from the Cooks Co-op. If anyone's interested, you can email produce at cookscoop.com. They are amazing produce from my farm that I've... It's all all bottled stuff. We've got beautiful olive oil, apple cider vinegar and a few other things. Uh, And and sorry, I just need to say, this is an amazing Christmas gift idea. For people who... I've just been talking about this before. For people who have everything... Mm. You, it, it's, it's wrapped. Just... It's wrapped beautifully. Um, mm. You can see that on my Instagram feed. Um, it's at Martin Burt's, B-O-E-T-Z. The pictures are on there. We have three, or t- four pickup points in Sydney, which I'll deliver to, and then you just come and pick it up. You How just need to gorgeous. pay for them in advance. And it's a great gift idea. Um, we also do produce boxes for 
of general public and they get delivered to those same pickup points on awesome. Fridays too. So if you want some great veg, yeah. you don't have to commit to anything. It's just um, it's just actually um, bought to you, bought to those pickup points. You pay for it beforehand. There's two sizes, a $45 and a $65 box. Awesome. And they have regional, all of um, my, my stuff from my garden plus stuff from the Hawkesbury region. Oh, so perfect for Christmas Day. Yeah. What are you going to do for Christmas Day yourself? I'm going out for lunch with a group of friends because I do not want to cook. <laughs> And it's the Fair first enough. it's the first time I've ever <laughs> gone out for lunch on Christmas Day. So I Where are you going? The pressure's on. We're going to Bala, Steve okay. Manfredi's restaurant. Oh, yeah. okay. How and did you choose? I didn't choose. I okay. was invited and I decided, you know what, I'm gonna go. Living the dream. That'll be the best Christmas day ever. I think so. Thank you, Marty, for coming on to chat to us. This You're has welcome. been Martin Boats from the Cooks Co op. You're on What's Cooking? Macquarie Radio NTS. Curly Questions with Nerida Conway and Chef Ian Curley. And you're listening to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway. And down the line, I'm speaking to Ian Curley. How are you, Ian? I'm very well. Beautiful and sunny here in uh, beautiful Melbourne today. Well, it's beautiful and sunny and hot here in Sydney where I am today, Always would too. would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> when I can't get there. Every time I've been to Sydney, it seems to rain, though. Yeah, well, it is a bit overcast, I've uh, got to say. They haven't put on a full pearler of a no. of a blue sky day for us today. Oh, well. Oh. Um, are you getting to enjoy the outdoors with a few rounds of golf today? Uh, tomorrow I'm going to sneak out tomorrow because it's uh, my anniversary tomorrow, so I'll Ooh. take my anniversary off. Right. So yeah. hang on, hang on. So it's your wedding anniversary. Yes. And you're going to play golf. Yes. <laughs> Without your wife? Uh, no, she can't make it, unfortunately, so I'm going to take my mates instead. You know, but it, it kind of keeps our relationship stronger while we're playing golf. And let's just put it this way, at least you're not going to be able to uh, have a fight. Well, that's right. But I, I, I love the analogy my, my, my beautiful partner, Simone, said to me, if I asked you to get up and come for a walk with me for four and a half hours in the rain, <laughs> absolute drivel, you turn around and say, no chance. And then you go, yeah, you do that every week with your mates. That is a really, really good analogy. It, and I, as I said to her, it doesn't rain all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I'm glad I caught you now before, you know, because yeah. I don't think you would have taken my call if I had rung you on the golf course. No, no. But um, I've got some questions for you from our listeners, and th- these are all Christmassy orientated oh, questions. <laughs> so the first one is right. why do you glaze a ham? Why can't you just buy a ham, you know? That's, yeah, as a ham, as, as, as a ham. Done. Does it make a massive difference? Well, I, I actually quite like it because it, it's the sweet and the sour and the salty and the, um, and the fatty. So basically, from the outside of the ham, when you when it's smoked, you always take off the top of it. Yeah. So it's you get rid of that smoky out, outside of casing. Okay, and, and that you, like the hard brownie kind yeah, of skin. And it leaves you with the fat then. Yeah. So rather than you trying to cut that fat, because what will happen then is that fat goes really soft, and as you would go yeah. to cut it, it kind of renders it down. It goes gross. Yeah. So what you do is you you crisscross it, pour sugar on it, and it's a bit of a festive thing. Oh, so you pour and sugar uh, on it. Sugar, I put sugar and ginger and cloves mm. and stuff like that, and uh, and you go from there and then just glaze it from there. Awesome. And I think it's fantastic, and also it's that hot, smoky. There's a, there's a lot of things to be said about food that smells, like gives gives you a memory of of. I get a memory of Christmas. Yeah. From it. 
Yep, I so agree. That's, that's why. So it's, it's to cover the uh, the fatty outside, and also to give it that. There's a textural thing about when you're eating a little bit of the the crunchiness of the sugar and the glaze. Mm. A lot of people use honey and stuff like honey and sugar, which is marmalade you know, or something. Yeah, that's right. And I, yeah, you can ma- massage the marmalade in the same way as you would with the honey, and then you put cloves and the okay, like. Okay, so it doesn't need to be complicated. In other words, oh no, no, absolutely not. No, no, no. Cooking's all common sense, and it's very straightforward if you think about it. All right. Well, that's Jan from Croydon, anyway. So just wanting to know about why do people bother, you know, glazing ham. So I've got Deb from Brighton who has said uh, turkey, and this is, look, I mean, this is probably asked a thousand times a day around Christmas time. Sure. Buying a turkey, trying to cook it myself, um, don't usually buy the turkey buffet, you know, the the kind of, I guess, just the piece of breast. She's trying to cook it herself. She's trying to cook the turkey herself from scratch. And she says, um, she's, I <laughs> know, she's um, got, you know, she's stuffed it full and she's cooked she's cooked it in the past, but the wings have, uh, like half of it's all been horrible and dry and it doesn't cook evenly. What's the key to cooking a turkey evenly? Yeah, the, the, the big secret to cooking a turkey evenly is to brine your turkey first. What does that mean? So it means you basically, you marinate the turkey in sugar and um, salt mm-hmm. and a few little pickling spices. Mm-hmm. And you leave it overnight in the fridge, and basically what that does is it makes sure that all the impurities come out of the um, out of the turkey. Right. And also it helps to moisten it. So when you're cooking it, there's a big scientific thing about the cells and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But but I would not eat a turkey that wasn't brined. Okay. Because the rest of it just dries out. It's like eating an old boxing glove if you, <laughs> if you do it without that. Why does my girlfriend put it into a bucket of salty water? Yeah, that's the same thing. She's brining. Right. That's it. And then so she brining. has to keep tipping it out and doing it again for no, days. No, you just do it overnight, one night. Oh, and also the best Doesn't it go off? To, no, no. You don't yeah. leave it out. You've got to put it in the fridge. Oh, you put it in the fridge. No, no. Yeah, some people probably... Oh, well, I wouldn't leave it in a, unless that she got a like, cold cellar or dungeon known some of your friends. But anyway, what I'll say is... The old, the best place for it is the mm. bottom of the, um, is the bottom of your fridge. You know that big vegetable crisper. crisper thing that yeah. everybody just fills with uh, old bits of corn and yeah, the vegetables tomatoes? that they hope to That's eat one day. One. <laughs> That's a good one because all of those always fit in the in the um, dishwashers. So yes. you, what you do is you rinse them through the dishwasher oh. first, put your your brining mixture in there. And um, and then you just immerse the turkey in there and put it back in the fridge. Oh, my gosh. This is why we love you, because you've just got tip upon tip upon tip. You'll be able to also find that on the website, because it's on... Actually, here's a bit of a self-plug. Yes. I did a brining masterclass for The Age and for Fairfax Media. Yes. Um on, online, so it's online, so that could be linked back to. Um, yeah, I'm going to get. I'll get a copy of it and put even, it on our website that's too. Even me talking and doing a little dance and everything. Awesome. So it's all there. The the recipes there and the and the video. Oh, fantastic! And we'll link right. it back to uh, what's hyphen cooking. Okay, so that's um, Jennifer in Brighton. We'll be right. able to give you the. No, Deborah. Sorry, in Brighton. Deborah, nice Deborah. area, Brighton. Deborah, it is a nice area. Yeah. Mm. Only only you know kind of posh people live there though. Uh, it's got, they've got a bit of new money coming in. <laughs> All right. Um, now, this is another question that goes after this one. Sure. Uh, this is John in Newtown. I think Newtown must be New South Wales. Um, how do I make an easy stuffing? All you do, get mm. your, um, uh, your KitchenAid blender things and just throw your onions in there. Yep. Crunch them all up if you want to do it easy, or you can chop them if mm. you like, mm. and uh, chop them all off. 
get some sage mm-hmm. and then add the sage to the onions and then lightly cook that off in in the uh in a, a quite a quite a fair amount of butter not oh. not massive amount okay. but cook it off until the bu- butter starts to bubble mm-hmm. and then you get the uh, that's bubbling away and then you your onions start to soften as soon as your onions are start to soften you got your sage in there mm. you throw in breadcrumbs so some panko breadcrumbs oh, yeah, and then nice. essentially that's your sage and onion stuffing it's very very simple now just for our listeners panko breadcrumbs are the asian Jap- yeah the japanese japanese ones, ones. and yeah. they yeah they're like white super yeah. crispy i reckon they're the only way to go personally yeah, what 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 we do as um if you're on the poor person's uh, thing because not everybody can afford the panko breadcrumbs. Yeah. If you wait until about four o'clock or five o'clock the night before the bread shops close, they'll they're giving away loaves essentially. Oh, good. So you can use the uh, just pull pull the crust off it and then do it that way. Just let it dry out. Yeah, or or you can just stuff it. Yeah, that's it. I just tear it and put it in the um you know the KitchenAid or the RoboCoop or whatever whichever one we're using at the time. Now, if you're a little bit time poor, could yeah. you just shove some citrus? I don't use the bread in the things. I don't think it cooks a cavity properly. Okay. Yeah, well, and this is what the, I was trying yeah. to get at because yeah. um, another question here is, um, does the stuffing prevent the bird from cooking properly through? I think so. And also what I normally do is throw oranges and lemons up there. Yes. And then I just Talking about the Christmas bird, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in, in the uh, turkey. And uh, we stuff it in there. And then uh, put a few, you can put a few cloves in there as, as well if you like. Okay. And then, uh, and then in you go. And then do that. And then uh, up it goes. Up it goes. And, and I did get the joke. I just yeah. it wasn't laughing. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> And, and clearly I'm sleep deprived, so right. I found myself hilarious. Um, okay, and I've got time. Have I got time for one more question? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. Okay. What are some nice, good foodie gifts? I've got a, a question here saying, Thomas is saying, I love to give food gifts for Christmas. Good idea. Um, because, you know, my, most of my friends are very fortunate to have yeah. everything that they need. Mm-hmm. So what are probably three or four of your top picks I to give like, that's a bit I safe? I like giving a really good knife. To somebody who's, who's in, who I care about. So anybody who gets a good knife off me at Christmas, they I always give to my staff. I always give good knives because it could be misinterpreted. You know that. Yeah, I know. No, no. <laughs> that come the relationship. I know, but I always give um, to all of my staff. I always give a knife, of some, awesome. some description or you know scoops or whatever it Love is. It. So what I do with that? Other good ones, are obviously, a really good bottle opener. People yep. like appreciate that. Yeah. And one more very quick one? Oh, it's got to be good glasses. I've got beautiful glassware. Oh. At the moment, a really good wine glass that you, that you becomes your wine glass. And there's some good ones around. And they're relatively cheap. They're about oh, 30 bucks. That and is stunning. Yeah. Thank you so much, Curls. No worries, Mama. Have a wonderful day tomorrow for no, your anniversary no playing worries. golf with your friends. Yep. <laughs> Talk I'll to you see soon. you next Tuesday. You're on Macquarie Radio, okay. NTS.